0: hey what's up this is jason from centerpoint church in hendersonville tennessee we're so excited to spend some time with you today we hope that this message inspires you and makes you continue living life on purpose and for a purpose let's jump right into the message welcome everybody who's joining us online if you're listening by podcast checking us out on our youtube channel so thankful that you're here today people who are here live in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Let's start off by giving God a shout of praise for all he's done to bring us here. Come on. We are starting a four-week collection of talks on the book of Jonah, and the eight-year-old version of myself that learned about this at Vacation Bible School is just going crazy on the inside because I love this story. Speaking of VBS, if you'll look at the decorations behind me, There was two very talented ladies in our church and our kids' ministry that made the background for our sermon today, so I'm going to keep this up probably for the month because we've got some talented kids in our ministry here, and I I just, I loved it, so we're going to keep it up there, and if you don't like it, that's okay. It'll be done in about three more weeks. Today's subtitle of Jonah week one is a shout out to the greatest time in American history, the 1980s, and this subtitle is, And I Ran. Now some of you are singing that flock of seagulls, and I ran, I ran all night and day. For those of you born over the age uh, past 2000, you have no idea what I'm talking about, because you don't know good music. And I ran. We're going to be talking about the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah is a really small book. It's actually only 48 verses. And believe it or not, the whale isn't the main character, though that's the coolest part because it's so dramatic. The whale actually only appears in three of the 48 verses. So when you really think about Scripture in general, it takes up such a small amount of real estate. But I want to lean into this idea that the book of Jonah, there may not be a more relevant book in the Bible than what we're going through right now, been this book because the main idea is this how can a perfect god pursue imperfect people how can a perfect god reach out and want to use imperfect people and so the, the idea of this the predominant thought throughout all of this is i want to know more of the heart of god and how he views his people how he views people who are lost, and how he uses imperfect people for his perfect will. So hopefully you picked up one of our scripture journals. It's not too late. You can pick one up online. You can go through it throughout this whole month. But as you're going through this, there's four chapters. And we're going to have this up on the screen. I want you to see that, there's, that each of these chapters have a parallel. So one in three is Jonah's call to Nineveh. And you'll see those line up. They parallel. And then two and four is Jonah talking alone with God. And so you're going to see those two parallels in Scripture. It's almost as if God did it twice just to be like, hey, 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 I want you to get this. So we're going to go through this again. I think it's also going to show us how it's impossible really to fail a test with God. You just get incompletes and you'll get another opportunity. So if you're a failure, you still got more time. Now if you were in remedial math and failed you're probably done with that. Or Casey, they offer summer school. And and, and that's okay too. God can offer summer school. But I want to jump right into the scripture. We're going to start off right at the beginning. Chapter one, verse one. And there's a ton that goes on in these next three verses. I just get excited. I'm sorry. Here we go. Verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying this, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. Verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Away from the presence of the Lord. Now let's, let's set up a little bit of context here before we jump into this complex three verses. So full disclosure, we don't actually know who the author of the book of Jonah is. We don't, and, and, and sometimes theologians or historians, because I think they have too much time on their hands, like don't go with what is the most obvious thing, and they're like, well, it could have been this, and it could have been that, and we don't know. The reason we don't know is because this book doesn't start out the way that most of the minor prophets do. Most of the minor prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Obadiah, they start off with a title or saying who they are. And, and the book of Jonah is interesting because it almost appears as if this is a continuation of a story and we're just kind of jumping right in the middle of it. It's kind of almost like when George Lucas started with episode four instead of episode one of Star Wars. Thank you, Adam. We'll talk after, All right. And it's almost like this ecosystem happens and and it's the story of Jonah and you just kind of stick your head underwater and you're looking around a little bit right And in the middle of it and then when you pull your head out, it's going to just keep on going because it feels like we jump right into the middle of it. We have no idea how long God had been talking to Jonah, what happened to Jonah up to this point. But I want to say this, most historians, myself included, believe that it's pretty obvious that is, the, that is Jonah, who's the author of this book, and here's why. Because what we're going to see throughout this these 48 verses is we're going to see intimate conversations that really only Jonah could have been there for. One, a conversation with a crew, a conversation with God in a whale, later on another conversation with God. And so if it wasn't Jonah, then it would be somebody who is writing down a firsthand experience that Jonah would be telling them. I mean, how, how would somebody write a book talking about you and your prayers to God if they didn't know what you were saying. Especially in the belly of a whale. Spoiler alert. So let's take a look real quick at verse 1. I want you to underline this phrase, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. This phrase appears seven times in this book. How many times? Seven times in this book. God speaks to prophets in a variety of ways. We see him sometimes speak to them in a still small voice. Sometimes we see God speak through prophets, through inanimate objects. We see all kinds of things, but, but God verbally speaks to Jonah at this time, and, and he, says, he says, arise and go. Look at verse 2. Those are two Hebrew imperatives. Two, there's no way you could misinterpret this. In Hebrew, it is very clear that God is saying, Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh. But Jonah's going to do what you and I do all the time. Can I just give you the parts, God, that are comfortable? Like, I just want to follow you when you're telling me to get the job that gets the raise, when you're telling me to to go marry that good-looking guy over there instead of this ugly one that loves the Lord. But this ugly, this good-looking guy, man, he rides a Harley right? He's a bad boy. I don't want that guy. No, no, like, we just want, if God could line the will up perfectly to also satisfy us, that's what we want. I mean, really. And let's not be too difficult on Jonah, because what God is asking Jonah to do is not easy. This is the first time that God actually tells a prophet to go bring a message to somebody who isn't, isn't Hebrew. And not only that, he's telling, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to bring a message of destruction. That's not an easy thing to do. Like, what, Angie, if I had to come up to you and God told me to bring you a message and it was something bad? Like, don't, don't let that Gene Jack fool you. Angie is a gangster. I've seen video evidence. I'm with Angie. God is telling Jonah to go to Nineveh and bring a message of destruction. It's like, dude, can you just email that to them? Like, why do I have to go there and tell them in person? Why? Why is Nineveh so scary, Ryan? Let me tell you why. I'm glad that you asked silently in your head. Here's why. Because Nineveh was a part of the Assyrian empire. So if you remember back a few months ago, we talked about the different empires with Babylonians, the Assyrians, Medo-Persia, Greece, Maccabean revolt, Rome, Jesus. So that's kind of where we are in history. And Nineveh was a great city. You actually see it described as a great city. Now, great needs to be in quotations because it wasn't great isn't a good one. Great is in size. Like the walls and the towers. And, and, and Genesis chapter 10 tells us that it was actually founded by a dude named Nimrod, which is one of the great names of the Old Testament. Nimrod founded the city or built this city. And now it was one of the capital cities, the predominant cities of the Assyrian Empire. Let me tell you a little bit about the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was known for its cruelty to people. It's not like God said, "Hey, go to Chuck E. Cheese and tell the manager that the pizza's, you know, overcooked." Do you like that? The Chuck E. Cheese one there, Josh. He told him to go to Nineveh. One of the kings of Nineveh was known. That on each side of his throne, he would put a pile of skulls so that when you walked into his throne room, like, that's the first thing you say. And then when he tells you to do something, you're like, okay, yep, yep. Those don't look like they were, you know, from one of those Halloween city stores that just seem to pop up out of nowhere, like weeds in your garden. Like, this, those are real skulls. Then, like, another king would flay people alive and try to delay your death as long as possible and follow the algorithm of pain without you dying and try to extend that. One of the most famous kings of the Assyrian Empire, this is what he would do. He, he, he would, would cut off your hands first. Then he would cut off your legs right below your knee. Aren't you so glad you came to church today? Then Then he would cut your legs off right below your hip. And then your arms right at your shoulders, but then he would cauterize the wounds with a torch so that you would continue to live. Because now you're just kind of a body. Why would they do that? Well, two reasons. One, because Assyrians going to Assyri. But also, because they wanted you to talk about it. Like, we're talking about it right now. Don't you think that that word didn't spread? Like, people were tweeting it right away. Could you believe and so what would then happen is, is they would go to attack the next empire and they would already know what's going to happen if the Assyrians conquer us or we could just give up peacefully and yeah, we're going to be slaves and yeah, we're going to lose some of our rights, but you're going to keep our hands. You ever try to pick your nose without hands? They would want people to talk about it. They would want this Reputation. And so just to give you a little bit of context, God is telling Jonah to go to Nineveh and bring a message of destruction and show up and be like, hey, y'all sin? It's got God's attention. Repent. You're just sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's it's not going to go very well. So I think that Jonah is probably afraid like most of you would be. And then also I think that there's a second part as to why Jonah didn't want to go but you're going to have to wait till week four for that one unless you read ahead in your scripture. Shame on you people. But, but I think, but, but I think the, the, the fear of it is, is probably, probably a big part of it. So I want you to look at verse 3. See, instead of 500 miles northeast from Palestine to Nineveh, he's supposed to go northeast. He goes to the main seaport of Joppa, which would have been a place where all the cruise ships left, and, and he went down there, and instead, he went 2,000 miles due west. Pretty much in the opposite direction. And I have this thing. I want you to write this down. I really felt like God gave this to me a couple of weeks ago as I was preparing this. If you were trying to run from God, the devil will always provide the transportation. Oh, so good. If you were trying to run from God, the devil will always provide the transportation. You see... Hebrew people were known, really, as as people of land. Because if you go back and read the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, every time the Hebrews went near water, bad things happened. And yeah, sometimes God saved them from it, but you don't really want to put yourself in a spot where you're jumping in the deep end, hoping that the lifeguard throws you a raft, you know? And, And so they were really known as people of land, and Jonah wants to go in the opposite direction of where God's telling him to go, and there just so happens to be a boat ready to leave, and it just so happens to be going the opposite direction of where God is telling him to go, and it just so happens to be prepared by Phoenicians. The Phoenicians were the sailors of the group, like born and bred from a young age. And that's going to be important in just a little bit. But here's what I want you to, to understand this. This is how we take a, a portion of scripture and kind of apply it to our lives. If God is telling you to do something, don't you think for a second that the devil isn't going to provide you an opportunity to do the opposite. If God is telling you to leave your super secure job to go pursue, pursue something else, don't you think for a second that you're not going to get a raise the next week another opportunity isn't going to come along. Don't you for a second underestimate why you and your spouse get in a fight Sunday morning. Raise your hand if you got in a fight today. No, don't raise your hand. That's a joke. Don't, 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 don't. (laughs) Point to whose fault it was. No, don't do that. Casey, don't do that. Don't you think for a second if you're not going to try to work on your marriage and you're going through a difficult season, that it's just a coincidence that a good-looking person gets the cubicle next to you at work. Don't you think for a second, men, that if we're trying to work on our purity, that Satan isn't going to make an image come across our screen without us even realizing that we are looking for it. And don't you for a second, young people, think that if you're trying to get away from God, that he's not going to provide you with a perfect amount of terrible friends to have an influence on you. That's not just for the kids. You see, us adults, like when we talk to kids, we're like, choose your friends wisely. Show me who you hang out with. I'll show you your future. But then when we become adults, like we hang out with people, all we, all the, whoever we want, and we think that that influence just magically stops when you turn 18. I think these are all important things to think about. I referenced this a few weeks ago. But Spurgeon wrote... What a remarkable thing the human soul must be if both God and the devil are fighting for it. Let's pick up in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, those are Phoenicians, were afraid. That's just important. Underline that part. And each cried out to his God and they hurled the the cargo that was in the ship to the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him. I love this. I actually heard my wife yelling this to my kids this morning as I was fixing to leave. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. <laughs> Call out to your God. She didn't say that part. Perhaps the God will give us the thought to us that we may not perish. Now look at verse 4, and I want you to underline, but the Lord hurled a great wind. This is the Hebrew word, tul, T-U-L, which means sent. Every time that we see this in Scripture, almost every time we see this throughout the Bible, this Hebrew verb, it actually is usually talking about throwing something. King Saul threw the spirit, David. We we, we see this oftentimes referring to battle. And so I want you to understand that God sent this great wind upon the sea. The other part that really sticks out to me is verse 5 is that almost instantaneously these Phoenicians recognized there was something divinely wrong with this storm. Like these guys aren't going to be afraid of a storm. They're the Phoenicians. They've been sailing their whole lives. So a storm is just a part of being on a boat. But they recognized almost instantly that there was something divine about this because these polytheistic Phoenicians start crying out to their gods right away. This is very uncharacteristic. And there's Jonah. Arise, O you sleeper. Keep in mind that here we are now and we're already at verse 5. We still have not heard a thing from Jonah. Let's hear his response. His response is we still don't hear anything from him for a few more verses. but, But the part that I want you to really understand here is that God sent this storm. Sometimes God sends storms. This is going to be the first time, actually the second time in this story, that we're going to see the heart of God a little bit. The first one is when he sends Jonah to Nineveh. Now, why wouldn't he just destroy the city of Nineveh? Why? Just be done. You're evil. He's sending someone to give them an opportunity to repent. Did you hear that? This changes everything because I think that God is sitting up in the third heaven with his arms crossed, shaking his head, disappointed in me, like I do when my kids do something stupid. But that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is a perfect God that will pursue imperfect people and give them every opportunity to draw them closer to the, him. The, the second one is this, is that God sent this storm. Why, why would God send a storm? Why would he send a storm in your life? The a variety of reasons, really. But I think the main one is to draw you closer to him. You ever been in a season of disobedience and God kind of brought a storm into your life? How do you recognize what's a storm God sent into your life, what's a storm Satan is sending into your life, or what's a storm that your own stupid action sent into your life? <laughs> How do you know? What's the purpose? The purpose of God's storms is always to draw you closer. Just the same as you do when your child is misbehaving. You want to eradicate that behavior because you know when they become an adult, if they keep that behavior, they'll never keep a job and no one will ever like them. The storms is always that. But then here's the other part, and then we're about to jump into it. The Phoenicians were caught in this storm because Jonah was on their boat. Choose who you put on your boat. I just flew back a couple days ago from Montana. And I was sitting on the plane. I was sitting next to this lady, and we're talking. And I asked her what she did for a living. She said she was a neurosurgeon. And I'm like, bragger. (laughs) And we're talking, and I try to always avoid what I do for a living, not because I'm ashamed of it, but because the moment they hear that I work at a church, I can physically see this force field go, (laughs) because now the conversation changes. It's even worse if I'm at a restaurant with friends, and they're like, partaking in some adult beverages, which is a really stupid name for, for a beer, but, but they're, they're and, and, and then it comes up that well, what I do for a living, and then I can see them take their beer and slide it behind the sign in the middle of the table. <laughs> and they're like, it's a Zima. It's, it's not, I'm not alcoholic at all. <laughs> and I'm like, chill. I'm a Baptist. We just drink at home. No, I'm just joking. That's a joke. That's a joke. Don't clap for that, please. Please don't clap for that. Centerpointtnthomas at gmail.com. Please, just a joke, mostly. And we're sitting there talking, and she asks what I do, and I tell her, and she's like, and then then, she sees me studying, and she's like, oh, you're preaching on Jonah. That's one of my favorite stories. And I'm like, cool, yeah, you're a neurosurgeon. But then she said something that kind of alarmed me and it was a little bit ironic because I'm studying this. And she says, I'm, I'm thankful you're on this plane because I know you got to preach this message on Sunday so I know God won't make it crash. <laughs> Imagine if the Phoenician sailors were like, oh, thank God there's a prophet on this boat because now I know we're okay. And I I was studying that, and I want to tell the lady, like, well, you know, if if I'm disobedient, God could take this whole thing down. (laughs) But apparently it's inappropriate to talk about a plane crashing while you're on the plane. (laughs) For some reason. But be careful who you have on your boat. Because their storms could become your storms. Who's influencing you? That's who's on your boat. If you surround yourself with hyper-emotional people whose default initially is always negativity, that negativity is going to come upon you. If you surround yourself with people that, that are not for marriage or don't believe in your spouse or won't support your marriage and that's who your friend circle is, don't be surprised if then you have issues in your marriage. It's not- even the people that are in your life always that you let on your boat? What do you let on your TV in your living room? Because I know for me, if I am inundating myself with sexuality on TV and the radio and the internet and movies, why should I be surprised then if my synapses start going towards being attracted to sexuality? And and, and and falling into the trap of what your flesh desires because I've let that on my boat. Choose who you let on your boat because their storms can become your storms. Ask the Phoenicians, verse 7, and they come to one another. These are the Phoenicians. Let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Verse 9, the first time we hear from Jonah. He still hasn't repented. Keep that in mind. Like How long is it going to take for him to be stubborn? How long does it take for you to apologize to your spouse? Me, I apologize instantly (laughs) every time. I heard somebody say that every argument should last 60 seconds. Any longer than that, it's nothing but pride. That's not in the Bible. That's in First Opinions chapter 3. Here we are, verse 9. Jonah speaks up for the first time, and he says, And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said, What is this that you have done? Why are you bringing that mess in this house? Uh, that's not in here, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now go back real quick to verse 7. You're going to see this idea, this, this phrase called the casting of lots. This is a bit bizarre, but you'll see this throughout scripture. You actually see this 88 times in the Old Testament, seven times in the New Testament, this idea of casting lots. Those of you that grew up in the 80s, we talked about earlier the greatest time in American history. We had this thing called the magic eight ball. Well, some of you are like, Poof. "Why are you laughing?" Did anybody ever have a magic eight ball? Raise your hand. And Don't worry, it's not a Ouija board. I would take that magic eight ball. If those of you have no idea what I'm talking about, just bear with me. And like, you'd ask the same questions, and I know. That you asked it if you were going to be famous. I know you did. Am I going to be rich and famous? (laughs) Looks unlikely. This thing's garbage. (laughs) That's kind of what casting lots is. They would take pebbles, rocks, sometimes bones, and they would paint it either dark color or a white color. It's like a prehistoric Yahtzee. And, and, And they would take these lots and they would throw it to determine the will of God. That sounds a little crazy, but that's what they did. Now imagine Jonah for a moment, if the role of a die is going to determine if he's going to die. Thank you. Somebody said, that's good. <laughs> we see this throughout Scripture, though. Like we see it that it determined the punishment of Achan and Joshua. We see it where they were trying to figure out how the different lands of the 12 tribes was going to be divided. We even see this in the Gospels might be the book of Acts. Some of you probably have that memorized, but I'm a B plus preacher. To determine if Matthias was going to be the new disciple after Judas hung himself. Can you imagine that for a moment? And so they cast lots. And then verse 9 is the first time that we hear from Jonah. So let's find out what they do. Verse 15. So they picked Jonah up and hurled him into the sea. Full disclosure. Some verses in between that. They're like debating, do we really want to do this? We don't want to do this. And it wasn't because they were trying to be nice. It was because they they were trying to figure out, if we we kill this guy, is it going to make the God of Abraham happy or more mad at us? Because we, what are we going to do? It's not because they're being benevolent. So they picked Jonah up and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I love it, man. Even in the middle of a story, there's a story within a story of God pursuing imperfect people. It's like a spiritual onion. It's got so many layers, it'll make you cry. And then we end it with this, verse 17, arguably the most famous verse of this whole story. It's actually a great cliffhanger. Like, you know, when you're watching a Netflix show and like it ends with a cliffhanger, and you're like, oh, thank gosh, because it says, you know, continue to the next episode in five, four, three. Back when I was a kid, which is how old people always start stories, Gerald. He's like, (laughs) sorry. I just thought of something funny that I heard someone say one time. Oh, I'm so old, we didn't have Facebook, we had to put our face in a book. I thought that was just so funny. You're welcome. That was free. (laughs) Like, this would be a great opportunity to end this. Oh, yeah, I know what I was saying. Back when I was a kid, I'm getting old, we didn't have, like, Netflix where you could just binge watch the next episode. I had to wait a week sometimes. And if the rabbit ears weren't lined up perfectly, it'd be fuzzy the whole time. So you'd have to pay my sister one Skittle per five minutes to hold the rabbit ears like this. It was a great deal. But anyways, this would be a great cliffhanger. It is a great cliffhanger. Is the last verse that we're going to talk about today, the most famous verse. That is verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Carmen, I actually like what King James says. It says that the Lord prepared a fish but I like even more what the NIV says. Calm down. You've already tithed, so you can't take it back. The NIV says this, but the Lord provided. Did you hear that? Because the first time when I heard this story, I hear this. Jonah didn't do what God told him to do, so God threw Jonah thrown in the water and then God had a big old mean scary fish, probably a whale, eat him up as his punishment. But that's not what it says. If you got one of our scripture journals, I want you to circle that word over and over and over again. God sent. God provided. God anointed. God prepared. The fish. Why? To give him another opportunity. God will provide you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. I just met with two guys in the last week who we had these conversations and and they said this phrase, both of them said this phrase, I should have been dead by now. Why would I be here because of what I have It's right here in the middle of our story. Right here. I looked at one guy and I told him this. I said, The reason that you're not dead is because if you would have died, you would be in hell right now. And God has provided you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. You're here. If you're in this room, you are breathing. Because God is providing you an opportunity. How many times have you ever been witnessing to somebody? And by the way, witnessing is like this Christianese thing that we say, meaning telling somebody else about what God has done for you. How many times have you ever done that and they say, well, why would a loving God send people to hell? That's a good question. they be like, I, I don't know. Here's my preacher's cell phone number. Why would a loving God send people to hell? Here's the answer. He doesn't. God doesn't send people to hell. Your actions do. Your choice. You choose to go to hell. The reality is, is that God did everything he could to prevent you from going to hell, even sacrificing his son Jesus for you. The final part is this. is still sitting there waiting for somebody to bring them the message of God. They're still sitting there waiting. You know why this affects me? There's people in your neighborhood that are still waiting for somebody to bring them the message of God. There are people on your children's sports team that are still waiting somebody to bring them the message of God. If you're breathing, we got work to do. There's a world that needs God. There's a world that needs a Savior. What are you going to do about it? If you are breathing, you have a purpose, and that purpose is always Some of you, when we sing this song available, it's hard to say those words when you say you can have it all. It's hard because my mind goes right to, but all means, even these gross parts. I get that God wants the good parts, but but what about this? What about lying? What about a lust issue? What about gossip? What about these things that I just, I can't kick? Here's the crazy part. It's already been paid for. And just as Jonah thought that he could flee from the presence of the Lord and how stupid that sounds to you and I, we do that with our gross parts. We think we can hide this part over here from God and God's like, dude, I see it. I've paid for it. I want it all. So we're going to end our time today by singing Available one more time. And these are dangerous songs to sing. Because your mouth might write a check that God wants to cash. The heart of God is always to pursue imperfect people and use people like you. Would you stand with me, please? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? The first prayer that we're going to say is, is the uh, a prayer of just giving your life to the some of you may need to hear that some of you may need to say that and it may be a salvation prayer it may just be a I'm available God you can have it all it's you but the first one let's just say together as a community of believers if you feel comfortable consider renewing your vows if you've said it many times if you'll repeat after me dear Lord today I give you my heart forgive me of my sins believe that Jesus died on the cross I believe he rose again today I want to be a child of God the second prayer I'll just say and you can just pray along with me Uh, but don't say it if you don't mean it it's a dangerous prayer I'm going to say it for myself I just pray, God, for each person that's in this room. I pray for even myself. This is my prayer, God, that that I am available. I understand that ministry is always going to be inconvenient. It's never going to be simple. And it's always going to require risk to love on imperfect people. It's going to require sacrifice. God, you could have it all, man. The messy parts, the broken parts, the disgusting parts. You could have it all. Just like a person that brought their lunch of loaves and fishes. It wasn't much, but you used it in supernatural ways to reach hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, God. And I pray that if my life can even reach one, Lord, it is yours. If God spoke to you in any way during the course of this message, we want to hear about it. Reach out to us at centerpointtn.com. You can partner with us. You can send us a message. We'd love to connect with you.